between the ages of three and six, uh, you are dismissed for kids' church. Do you believe it? I mean, can you imagine? 52 weeks ago, we were rushing around in here, and when I say we, it was really just a, a handful of folks. We had been told that uh, meeting in person was not allowed, and so we cobbled together whatever we could. We found this, this big work lot uh, that we had on a stand up here, and Lance had his iPhone, and we we're just doing our best to try to, to give some kind of message of hope in the midst of the craziness, but, but we weren't too worried because we knew it was just a couple of weeks and we were going to flatten the curve. Can you believe that those two weeks turned into 52? Who would have guessed? Who would have imagined? What kind of crystal ball would have been required? And who would have believed you if you said that in 52 weeks we would just be trying to find our way back to normal? How important is it, is it to imagine? How important is it to believe? Last week we read that the Israelites had observed and maybe somewhat celebrated that Passover meal while they were still in Egypt. They slaughtered the one-year-old lamb that was without blemish. They painted the blood on the door frame of their house and they ate a meal with the sandals on their feet, with their cloak tucked in, and with a staff in their hand. And God reminded them, they said, you're not only going to observe this Passover meal now, but every year you're going to celebrate it so that when your kids ask, what are you doing and why are we doing this? You can say, this is a reminder that the Lord brought us out of slavery with His mighty hand. But as the, door, as the doors were being painted with the blood of the Lamb, as a family sat down for a meal, and later on went to bed ready for what would happen next, the Egyptians would soon wake up. Just as Moses had prophesied that there would be greater wailing in Egypt than there had ever been. And it would never be as bad as it was that night when the Lord went through and struck down the firstborn. I just can't imagine the scene Exodus tells us that there was not a house that was unaffected. What kind of impact would that have had on the Egyptians? But I want you to think, what kind of impact would that have had on the Israelites? Do you think the sound of their wails rang in their ears for years to come? as they thought about 
who their God was and who the gods of these Egyptians were, who had been protected and who had lost so very much. Well, we know what happens next. Pharaoh is going to summon Moses and Aaron and he's going to say, I want you guys to get out of here. I want you to leave. In fact, he wasn't the only one. The rest of the Egyptians, it says that they, they urged the Israelites to leave. And in fact, as they left, God said, hey, I want you to ask the Egyptians, the ones that you're living with and near, I want you to ask them, hey, can we have your gold and silver? And the, the Israelites received all that they had asked, just as God had said that they would. And so they left Egypt and they had plundered it. And so here they are, 600,000 men plus women and children. They're carrying their unleavened bread. They've got all that they have with them. They even have the gold and the silver that they just plundered from the Egyptians. And now they're headed out. And you know they must just be thinking, Freedom! We get to go to the desert? Surely there's some other way that we can go. Maybe, maybe a quicker way. And, and, and there is. And God is not going to let them go the faster route. But I'm not going to tell you why. And don't cheat and read ahead. We're going to talk about that in class. Why didn't God send them the way that He did? In fact, not only did He send them the quick route, He had them go out. And then He said, Oh, by the way, Moses, I want you to backtrack. And I want you to go back to where you came from. Because I want to show the Israelites exactly how powerful I am. Because there is Pharaoh. And he's looking out and he sees these crazy group of two million plus Israelites wandering around in the desert. And he thinks to himself, well that was a bad idea. But, but before we go any further, we're entering in uh, to, to chapter 14. So we are leaving the, the first trimester of the Exodus. We're, we're leaving that, that first section. And so I want to recap just super quick. Here's what happened in the first 13 chapters, just in case you missed it. Okay, here's what happens first. Moses survived a mass uh, killing of babies by being floated down the Nile River. Okay, he lived in a palace for 40 years. He murdered a man. He became a fugitive. And he lived in the desert for another 40 years, this time as a shepherd. He had a conversation with a burning bush. He argued with God. He confronted Pharaoh. He prophesied slash initiated ten plagues. He sacrificed a lamb. He painted the doorframe with blood. And he left Egypt with the cries of hundreds of thousands of people ringing in his ears with another two million hot on his tail. He was now leading out. In the course of 80 years, as we've witnessed what has taken place in Exodus, we have Egypt, we, we have, excuse me, Moses, who went from being a little Israelite boy in which all, many of the other boys were killed at that time. He survives by being floated down, lives in a palace, murders, lives in the desert, 
And now he goes back to this place to tell Pharaoh, one of the most powerful men in the world, by the way, I want to take your slave labor and we're going we're to go worship out in the desert. All within these first few chapters. But it's only going to get more exciting as we enter into chapter 14 and the Israelites are going to get wedged between a Red Sea and a group of Egyptians who happen to be just a little emotional. After 80 years, the Israelites are leaving Egypt and they're entering into the desert and they're heading to the land that was promised to them. And you would think this would be the most exciting day of their life. But I want to pick up at the end of chapter 13. It says, verse 21, By day the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way and by night in a pillar of fire to guide, to give them light, so that they could travel by day or night. Neither the pillar of cloud by day, nor the pillar of fire by night, left its place in front of the people. How awesome is that? Have you really thought about how great this is? For years, there were two questions that I was asked when we would go on a family road trip. Two questions. The first one came from the back seat. And that question was always what? Are we there yet? The second question came from the passenger seat. The beautiful sweet woman beside me who always asked the question, do you know where you're going? That's what I had the whole time. Now I guarantee that Moses heard a lot of that first question. Are we there yet? Are we there yet? But no one dared ask, do you know where you're going? There was no doubt because right in front of them in the day is a pillar of cloud and at night a pillar of fire. They knew this was better than GPS. No updates, no rerouting, no and you know at the next time Make a legal U-turn. I can't tell you how many times my GPS has told me to do that. Make a, make a legal U-turn. But, but sadly, that's exactly what the pillar did. It sent them back the way that they came from. So what do you do? I mean, right in front of you, you have this real, tangible manifestation of God right there. Not only during the day, but also during the night. But then the cloud slash fire sends them in a circle. And God says, I will gain glory for myself through Pharaoh and all his army, and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. Did you hear that? I want to read that one more time. I will gain glory for myself through Pharaoh and all his army, and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. Would Pharaoh ever come to his senses? with a sore throat from wailing, and with tear-stained cheeks from weeping, 
Pharaoh would begin thinking about the good old days when he had his own free slave labor. Bodies were still being buried in Egypt. And Pharaoh's heart is hardened and he says, I want those slaves back. Verse 5 of chapter 14 says, When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, Pharaoh and his officials changed their minds and said, What have we done? We have let the Israelites go and we have lost their services. So he had his chariot made ready and he took his army with him. He took 600 of the best chariots along with all the other chariots of Egypt with officers over all of them. The Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, so that he pursued the Israelites who were marching out boldly. The Egyptians, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots, horsemen and troops, pursued the Israelites and overtook them as they camped by the sea. Think of this scene. Imagine this. Put yourself in the place of the Israelites. You and your people have been enslaved for centuries and now you are set free. But then the Egyptians show up at your back door. Listen to the response. As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up and there were the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified. And they cried out to the Lord. And they said to Moses, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us out to the desert to die? What have you done by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone? Let us serve the Egyptians? It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. Think about what they just said. Why did you do this? I would rather be a slave my whole life than to have an opportunity to leave and find freedom and be in relationship with God. They're not the only people who have said that. And maybe you have uttered those words. Maybe you've thought them. But maybe it's just been how you've lived your life. That I would just as soon be a slave to where I am than to step out and go in the desert where God might take me. I'll take the whip and the bricks and the cruel punishment. Don't make me leave my place of slavery. It's funny, but not really, that Satan finds ways to enslave the people of God. And he does it in such a way that we become comfortable with the pain and the misery and the hopelessness that we feel in our lives. That we walk around confused and apathetic and wondering what's going on. And at any chance to be set free, we say, no, 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 no. I'll take slavery. The problem was, they were just like we were a year ago. 
They couldn't believe. They couldn't imagine. What is their logical response? Is this appropriate? That after having been led out into the desert and to see the Egyptians coming, is it fair for them to say, why did you bring us out here to die? I would rather be a slave. If you have been a slave your entire life, then yes, that's an appropriate response. It makes sense. It's all I know. If you're focusing on the army and the chariots and the troops, if you can see them, then yes, this is a fair response. If you're wandering around in a desert, aimless, not certain of where you're going or who's leading you, if you don't have that relationship with the one who says he's delivering you, is it fair to look at that army and say, you've brought me out here to die? Absolutely. But what if? What if you'd witnessed the ten plagues? What if you saw the Egyptians swatting the gnats and stepping over the frogs? What if you heard about them fumbling through the darkness? Watching the locusts ravage their crops and their livestock fall dead on the ground? What if you smelled the stench of those plagues and heard the wails of the people as they left? Is it possible that there's a different response you can have as you see your enemy approach? What if you heard the cries of the Egyptians as they begged you to leave? What if you saw the pillar of smoke at day and the pillar of fire at night? Does Pharaoh get any smaller? Does his chariots seem fewer than they were before? Is the mighty hand of Pharaoh just not as mighty anymore? I guess the real question is, as the Israelites watch the Egyptian army roll up, what would they say if they believed that the mighty arm belonged to God? And not to Pharaoh. What if they thought that God was greater? I really, I feel for the Israelites. But I'm confused. How can they witness what has just taken place? And yet still not believe. Could they believe that God, who's powerful enough to send these ten plagues, could also be the same God that could find a way to deliver them. I know you've read ahead. 
But we're not talking anymore about the Israelites and the Egyptians and the Red Sea. I want to talk about you. I want to talk about pandemics. I want to talk about job cutbacks. I want to talk about cancer. I want to talk about the things that are weighing on your heart right now. The menacing things. The phone call that you just got or the phone call you know that you're going to get. The spouse that's ailing. The job that's faltering. The marriage that's failing. It's like Pharaoh's army is right on your heels. And you can, you can cry out, why did you do this to me? I can't believe that you would bring me out here to die. It would be better if I was a slave back years ago. The Israelites are calling out, we don't want to follow you, God. We don't want you. It's too hard. We're in the desert. We knew what life was. It was terrible, but it was our life. And now we have to follow you. And now, big, big, big word. We have to trust you. And let's just call it what it is. It was a group of people who didn't trust God they were following. Years ago, a discussion broke out in a Bible class as to whether the miracles in the Bible, like the parting of the Red Sea, actually occurred. One opponent blurted out, he says, I can't imagine that those ludicrous miracles actually took place. And the response came without missing a beat. The other man said, well, that says more about your lack of imagination than it does about the power of God. The Israelites couldn't imagine that God could deliver them. Can you imagine, without reading, can you imagine a scenario in which God could deliver the Israelites. If you skipped Bible class, if you hadn't seen it played out on the little blue flannel graph as a child, if you hadn't read ahead, could you imagine, here's what God is going to do. Can you imagine that God could work in such a powerful way that He would lure in all these people, including Pharaoh, the most tyrannical, arrogant leader. And in some ways, give hope not only for the Israelites, but for Egypt. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine with the desert in front of you, with 2021, and all the fears out in front of you. 
with the, the pain and tragedy of life and what 2020 brought us. Can you imagine that there's a God who can deliver you? I think that's what we have with Exodus. And that's what we have this morning. I have no idea what the rest of March is going to look like. I can't tell you what's going to happen five minutes from now. We'll probably be singing a song. I'm not guaranteeing that. Probably singing a song. We'll have communion. We'll say a few prayers. And you'll go back out into the desert again. And you're going to have to look up. And you're going to see in the rearview mirror Pharaoh coming. The question is really simple. Do you believe? Can you imagine that God can deliver you? If you believe that, we're going to sing a song. And if you believe that, I want to encourage you to stand with me as we sing about a song of a God who delivers.